Good morning. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Today, we're going to continue our study through our God, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, in Luke chapter 3, if you open your Bible there, if you're ready, this is uh, the section where John is getting his ministry, preparing the way. And, uh, I never really know which title to use, so there's sort of two titles, John's Prayer of Way, or the Gospel of John the Baptist. So John, uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. So not to be confused with the Gospel according to John, but talking about how John baptized her, sharing for it, preparing the way for Jesus. So if we think back what we've talked about so far in Luke, it's sort of this staggered history, uh, almost a Competing history, it might seem like, between John and Jesus. It kind of starts with John and then goes to Jesus back and forth. So we have the angels announcing the birth of John, then the angel announcing the birth of, of Jesus in advance, then of course the birth of themselves. We have the, in the last lesson, the early childhood of Jesus, the lesson where he's presented as an infant in the temple, and the interactions with Simeon and Hannah. And then, in our very last lesson, where his parents apparently misplaced Jesus and left him there after they had been there for peace, and they came back and found him in the temple, doing the Father's work there. And there's these notes that both of these children, young men, are growing. They're growing. And as we get here to chapter 3, we see John is starting his ministry, his preaching, and then we also see toward the tail end of our reading that Jesus comes on the scene here as well. And then tonight I'll move forward with uh, the genealogy of Jesus and most of the key cameos of his ancestry there and move the relevance of those things. With this lesson here, the Gospel of John, the baptizing, and why are we talking about the Gospel of John? In our text here, verse 18, it mentions, So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people, the gospel. And so, of course, Jesus at this point in time hasn't uh, even started his ministry and his teaching. certainly hasn't gone to the cross and risen from the dead and Pentecost hasn't happened with the first, what we would say, the gospel sermon. Those things are, are still yet to come at the time of our our setting here, John, Luke chapter 3. So how can John be proclaiming good news that hasn't happened? And the answer is that John is a prophet. John's a prophet. He's prophesying these things. And also this idea of the good news of the gospel and a very churchy word to us. To the gospel, that's the thing about Jesus, the good news about him. Well, in that culture, there was this, this same word was used to talk about, you know, there's good news, the king's coming to, to town, and, and he's conquered, and now we're free, and that sort of thing. So they would prepare for the for the king to come and welcome them to that town. And you might say they roll off the red carpet, and that sort of thing. Good news. So that's sort of the context in which that word is used. You're not talking about some earthly king conquering, but there's this important person coming. Jesus, the Messiah, Christ, King of Kings. So, we'll look at some aspects of John's message. 
the first portions of it focused on John's teachings and then his teachings about coming to Christ. So John's preaching would be characterized with the baptism of repentance, and that that baptism is for the forgiveness of sin, and that uh, he instructs the hearers to bear fruits of repentance. Kind of like he talks about today, the doers and not just the hearers. And then among those things, uh, the fruits would be love others and the details about loving others as well. Of course, those all sort of foreshadow prepare the people for the teachings of Jesus that are to come. He also talks about specifically about Jesus. This mysterious figure at this point, someone to come, that John talks about. But the Jesus, Christ, is better than John. John is not Christ. And in seeing Christ coming, we're seeing salvation. Jesus is salvation. And that Jesus will be different than John. John baptizes with water, but Jesus will come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We'll dig into some of those things figure out what they need to Let's start with a reading. So if you haven't opened your Bible, I encourage you to open to Luke. Chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll go through 22. I'll interject a few comments as we go here, and then we'll kind of cycle back through for our main point. So Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now some of those details, those kings and teachers and governors, might be unclear to us. Who are those people? That's a long time ago, but take the point we should take from, from this. Even from the very beginning of this gospel, He's setting out to write a work of history. Not, not a fairy tale. Not once upon a time or long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, it's set in a specific point in time with these, these, uh, secular political leaders and these religious leaders, Annas and Caius. There, there are, uh, other, other writings and, uh, statues and inscriptions we can uh, recognize the point in time in history that is being talked about. You notice also it says here, the word of God came to John. And that's a, a prophetic formula that we can read in the various of the prophets. We can go on and on how, how that sort of language that's used as these prophets begin to work. So we see that used here of John. So John is a prophet coming on to the scene. Go on to verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As, as it is written in the book, the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation 
of God. And so we see uh, here, referring to Isaiah, uh, and, and this voice, John's this prophesied voice coming in the wilderness. We saw some similar things where the angel, what he told Zechariah, and some things that Zechariah prophesied later, uh, when the angel Malachi, some of the same language about this, this uh, work of uh, John here. He's rolling out the red carpet, this, this idea of the, of the gospel, or welcoming this great figure to come, Jesus Messiah. Preparing the way of the Lord, making making things straight and level and easy, making them ready for the God to come on the scene in the form of Jesus. So looking at verse 7 and onward, we'll see John's teachings, and some other things about John, we'll look at those more in the he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, raise up children. Right? Even now, the axe is laid through the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has not. And whoever has food will be likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized. <laughs> Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. And the people were in expectation. And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I come. The straps of whose sandals are not worthy of God. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John. I'll study more about John's teachings here, but you know, one of the things about Luke's gospel, he claims at the very outset, is an orderly account, very careful to order things. But we might notice here, he, he sort of is jumping ahead a little bit with, with John and his prisoner. I think that the next scene, in fact, uh, Jesus is baptized by John, but he's not yet in prison, but sort of jumping ahead in the story to let us know. 
interchange the focus onto Jesus and sort of the rest of this So our last section here, now reading verses 21 and 22, the baptism of Jesus. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him, like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is, of course, a very important moment in, in uh, the gospel. The word of Jesus sort of represents the beginning of his ministry, turning point from, from John and focusing on, on Jesus. Used to be the anointing, used to be the Christ, that seems to be going on here. We'll come back more to that. We also see the concept of the Trinity we talk about sometimes. We see now, of course, Jesus is portrayed here. We have the Holy Spirit coming in this form like a dove. We have this voice from heaven, apparently uh, from the Father, because he refers to his beloved Son. Let's look at back to John's preaching content of his message here. Baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. How he tells people to bear the fruits of repentance. The baptism of repentance, we get that from verse 3 of our reading. It says he went into all of the region around Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance. John is, is calling people to repent. There's a sense in which, even though the Babylonian exile is over, people are back. They're kind of in local captivity again. Rome had come in and was now enslaved uh, them in a sense. They didn't, weren't able to rule themselves in the way that the nation was intended. There's, there's a sense in which they're in exile. It represents their sin. So it's sort of a judgment hanging over these people. And so we need to prepare them for Jesus. We need to repent and get ready to think. Of course, in Acts 2.38, Peter said to the people later on, repent and be baptized. They are on Pentecost. <clears throat> and then uh, Acts 19, 4, Paul said of John, the, bapt- the baptizer here, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. We just read. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. So all of this work that John's doing, not about John's special teaching and his work as a prophet, but leading to Christ. John is preparing the people to repent the kingdom that hand. And this baptism that John is doing here is said to be for forgiveness of sin. And that might seem a little interesting if we think about progression of Christ's work and the day of Pentecost and the first gospel sermon we think about. That's what it says here in, in verse 3 of our reading. He was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. But what is the source of forgiveness? Even our source with 
Old Testament sacrifices, all these animals shedding of blood and all of this, it really all points to Jesus. All of the fullness is in Christ. John is preparing the way for people to lead towards Christ. Jesus saves to the uttermost. The people were supposed to change their lives, put repentance in, bearing fruit of repentance. It's not merely a changing of mind and then you don't do anything about that. But it's a changing of mind and a changing of behavior. Verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. If you have a, a, a fruit tree, not bearing any fruit, it's not really a fruit tree, or it's certainly not healthy, or doing what it ought to be doing. No good. We are called to do good work. Do you hear in John? Gospel preparing for Christ? Certainly. Jesus emphasizes that through the other writings of the apostles. Very much so in, in the James that we're studying in our class. And that was this God. Living. And what about some examples of bearing fruit? Well, we're told to love others. Certainly Jesus says that. I think John alluding to that here as well. Preparing people for this emphasis on loving each other. Loving others. Love is the core of Jesus' teaching. Here in verse 35 of, of, of John, John 13, 35, we read there that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You have love for one another. This is a distinctive thing for Christians. The world should be able to see that. Can others see the love we have? Do we show it? Are we actively caring for one another? That's a good challenge for us. And then digging into this point, sharing with others. Some of the things that John talks about are a little more specific. Back here in Luke 3, verses 10 and 11. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? What's the fair fruit of repentance? What's the what? What should we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Now that might seem weird. Who wants the tunic anyway, right? But uh, clothes, right? In our culture, we're going to all have a, some diversity, but we typically have a closet at home, in our apartment, or wherever we live, and we have clothes in there. We have what we're wearing, and there's something at home. We have maybe a lot of other clothes. That's kind of a foreign thing for the folks being addressed here. They would often have the clothes in their bag. And kind of and we say live paycheck to paycheck, we might talk about that. Maybe you're living tunic to tunic, you know. And if you don't have the next one ready, you're going to have torn up clothes, or maybe not have clothes. That's a foreign idea. But, but there are some who are wealthier, who can help someone who maybe just is, has tatters, you know. They just probably have anything to wear, and someone else has more clothes. Well, let's, let's get you something decent here. And that same idea is true for us, at least. The fact that we have closets full of clothes indicates that the sense in which we're wealthy compared to even other parts of the world today, certainly compared to the culture these folks are in. But are we helping? Are we sharing? Do we recognize those needs? You know, maybe it's a winter coat. I mean, someone doesn't have a winter coat 
and they're kind of struggling with something like that because we're getting a little out of where that's necessary now. Growing up Sunday, before Sunday, but things like that, things like logic, you know, we have a place to sit. We have homeless people sometimes that are legitimately trying to do better. Are we helping people? Transportation, we're giving a ride to someone. Or maybe even you have an old junkie car and someone doesn't have any car. Can you get it to them? I've seen that done. And food. Be warmed and filled, right? We can't just say that. Be warmed and filled. We need to help you. This is what John is preparing the people for their hearts have love. Be generous, care. And also to deal honestly with others. Really, it's all part of love as well. But in verse 12, 13, the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you were authorized to do. These Jewish tax collectors, they were considered traitors, because again, it's this whole situation where Rome was over them, and they were collecting taxes, and they did that by means of some people who would do the work. So they had some Jewish people who were embedded and do that. And there was a certain way they were to do it, a certain amount they were supposed to collect, and they would get paid that or have a certain cut and you would get to that. But if you ever did your own taxes, it's complicated and confusing, you know. And there's a lot of room for abuse there. And so these tax collectors would often charge more than they're supposed to because hey, there's money. Who knows? I'm telling you what Rome says we need to take, or else you're in trouble. And they would they would oftentimes take more than they should. And so, more of the story certainly is to be honest, to be fair, and that all comes down to love, too. Or you're ripping people off, or you're caring for us. So if you're in a position of power like that, it's important to be honest and to be fair. And the soldiers, in a similar way, they asked, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats. Or by false accusation and be content with your wages. It's not completely clear to me whether these are, you know, Gentile Roman soldiers or or maybe kind of like the tax collectors, maybe some Jewish recruits that were kind of boots on the ground there, so to speak. Either way, they're in a position of authority, kind of like the tax collectors. Maybe even with more of a threat to them. And they could use their power to rip people off people taking money or have unfair service or whatever it was. Defrauding their countrymen. It's unfair, dishonest, fraud, potentially theft. But maybe that's not our situation. But are we content with our kind of the theme of it? These people, both the tax collectors and the soldiers, they want more. We're Americans. We want more. That's kind of a theme, isn't it? That, that's just part of our culture. We want more. We want to have the promotion, and we want more. Uh, we need to kind of keep that in check. We're trying to follow all Christ's will here. But maybe it manifests itself as stealing uh, a pen from the office. You know, we're, we're there, and look, they're hardly paying us in that way. So I'm just going to take this thing 
Oh, did they have plenty of men? And that's kind of like giving myself a rake, because I'm taking the opposite line, or whatever it is, lumber from the lumber yard. Are we, are we being honest? Or are we being content with our wages? Are we following the American way or the Christian way? Jesus teaches us a better way, and that's the whole point of John preparing us to, to be ready for, for Jesus. So, Jesus is coming from this point in time. John's proclaiming that Jesus is coming. And Jesus is better than John. We're going to see salvation with Jesus. And unlike just with John baptizing with water, Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus is better than John. Go to verse 15. We see here, and the people were in expectation for the Christ and Messiah to come. And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Now what's going on? John's coming on the scene and there's all these teachings. He's challenging people to do all these things, to be baptized, and change their way of life. So John was first in this this account of the gospel. He was announced first. He was conceived first. He was born first. He began his teaching first. But yet, John is not the Christ. The gospel of John, verse 1, 19. And this is the testimony of John. John, the baptizer, we're talking about. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not Christ. He's not making a confusion. He's answering that clearly. John uh, 3.28 You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before. And he's just referring to what he's been saying here later in John. He's been sent before, and he's the, he's the one sent to prepare the way. That idea of the gospel, clear the way, and announce the coming king, the coming Messiah. John was a great prophet, but his role was to prepare the way for Jesus. Even later in his ministry there, John, still, John 3 30, he says, He, Jesus, must increase, but I, John the baptizer, must be making that shift away from. The emphasis on John to Jesus. John goes on prison and ultimately to death. But Jesus goes on and his ministry grows. He's exalted. And even in his crucifixion, he's exalted in that. He's the Son of God. In Jesus, we see salvation. Here at Luke chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. Perfect shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level places. And all flesh shall see salvation 
of God. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is bringing salvation and he says to be salvation. Even his name, Jesus or Joshua or Yeshua, means the Lord. You know, Simeon already told us this in our previous chapter. When he saw Jesus as a baby coming there into the temple, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart from me according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's seen Jesus and everything that Jesus represents. Coming on to the scene. The Lamb of God comes to take away the sins of the world. Brother, what's so special about Jesus? Though? Are there other ways for salvation? We can look at John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, the world will tell you there's all kinds of ways. Call the church of your choice or pick the world religion of your choice or do whatever you want. And uh, you'll find some spiritual whatever through that. Well, Jesus is either lying or he's right. And I tell you, he is the truth. He's not lying. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And because he's true, we have to accept this. No one comes to the Father except for Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Acts 4.11 This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, addressing those who rejected and crucified him. Builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among, among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is salvation. We need to be saved from this perverse generation and through the name of Jesus, and through his sacrifice. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is one of those issues that gets confused sometimes. So let's try to figure this out. So John, or Luke 3.16 here, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I come, he's the God. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So, so John baptized with just water. He didn't really have the full understanding of the Holy Spirit there. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and also brings the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, one aspect of that, we can look to Acts 2, that, that moment on Pentecost where things began with the church. Acts 2, verse 2. The apostles here are in view, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so we see occasions like this. Where there are special miraculous impartations of the Holy Spirit, they're able to do things such as this, to speak and talk. So 
then we also see as that progresses and they begin teaching the gospel there in that same occasion. Acts 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's still the gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't see everyone in the whole audience saying the gospel there. Having all the yeah, that's a, a separate, special thing that happens for centuries. You have the, the Spirit reveals the Word, the Spirit intercedes in our prayers. We have this idea of, of God with us. God dwells in the temple. We read the Old Testament, the silver cloud, the silver fire, and God's presence in the temple, shown by smoke and these different things. We see in the New Testament the idea of the temple being the church. First Peter two verse five, and notice these you yourselves. These are plural. This isn't this is you, Rick. This is you all the church. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are being built up like living stones. We are uh, that that temple. There's a sense in which the Holy Spirit is dwelling within the temple. Similarly in Ephesians 2.22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Being built together in Christ. Like a temple, the only place for God, and the Spirit is called in that as well. So John's baptism seems a lot like Christian baptism. But, but what's the difference? Well, the cross, and had Jesus had died on the cross, and the full sacrifice, and then these aspects of the Holy Spirit that we see emphasized in Christian baptism. We can see that play out in the situation in Acts 19, where uh, some who only knew of John's baptism know about these other things about the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, What then were you baptized? They said, Did John's baptism? And Paul said, John baptized. The baptism of repentance. We read that. Baptism of repentance. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Not hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, in that context, it goes on to explain that there were some spiritual gifts, some prophecy given here in the state and the early church being established. Well, I would direct your attention to that last part. I'm hearing this. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Have you been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for forgiveness? I encourage you to do that if not. We also think about Jesus being anointed. Acts 10, 